Revelation chapter 1. Now, I like teaching here because I have the freedom to teach. You go out and you teach different places. You find that many things people don't receive. They don't have certain things built into them to be able to receive. And they, they will immediately reject uh, you, reject the word that you, that you teach or preach. Uh, not because it's not in the scriptures, because they don't have a frame of reference to even relate to it, and they don't, they don't receive it. Tonight, we're going to look at a lot of scriptures. Um, I have a lot of them in my notes already. I'll read them. Uh, I'll utilize the blackboard quite a bit, and I'll have you turn with me. We're going to s start looking at, at the seven spirits of God. In Revelation... That particular term is used four times. We're going to look at three just to begin, and, and then we'll look at the other one later because I, I want to, to draw things together before we get to the fourth mention of that, that particular thing. And I will say this, that I believe that Paul and others mentioned this and it's not mentioned in that terminology, but I believe they are looking at that and seeing this particular thing when they say certain things. And we'll look at a few things that Paul says that don't have these words in it. But you can see that as we go on, you'll start to see this thing hopefully open up for you. Now in chapter 1, <clears throat> verse 4, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is which, and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before the throne. So that's the first mention of the seven spirits. And you can see in this particular verse, it says before the throne. Now, it's very difficult to see and to, to picture certain things. Uh, how can John actually put into words that a person can understand what he's seeing? And then we are even at a greater disadvantage because of the English language. We don't have the original. But you can have the original and still not see and perceive and understand. So we have to depend upon the Spirit of the Lord, and Him revealing things to us personally. Even as you sit in church and you hear the Word, it is the Spirit of God, the Spirit of wisdom and revelation. If that is there at work through who's ever ministering, you sit under that, there will be something that occurs in you and there will be a, a type of understanding that's developed, even though you might not understand it in your head, your heart is saying, yes, 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 yes. Amen, I see that to some degree. In chapter 3, verse 1, 
And unto the angel of the, the church, or the, the messenger, the pastor of the church in Sardis, write these things, saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. So it's speaking of Christ, and it says here that he hath the seven spirits of God. Chapter 4, verse 5. And out of the throne proceed lightnings and thunders, or thunderclaps, and voices, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Okay, so in, in this verse, he mentions seven lamps of fire burning. Now, these aren't literal lamps he's seeing. He is seeing something that is as a lamp in brightness, but it's not a physical lamp. You see two things here in this particular verse. It says that there were seven lamps of fire burning, and that means set on fire. Have you ever personally experienced being set on fire by the Lord in your spirit? Through a word, through something he does, and it's just like, whew, like, like there's a fire there. It's very, very good. But for what purpose? What is the purpose here? Well, in this verse, you see two things. You see the lamp of fire burning, and fire is light or illumination. That's one thing. Secondly, the fire refers to refining and purification. So that these two elements, illumination and refining are necessary elements that need to be developed uh, to bring about the character of the Lord within a Christian, within the person. You have to have these two things. Illumination or the personal light that you receive uh, places you in a position to desire and receive of the character of the Lord. See, so without that illumination personally and then without you personally experiencing and being in the refining process the character of the Lord Jesus Christ uh, will not be developed to, to any measure if, if at all and of course we we've looked at the refining we've looked at scriptures dealing with that in the past and other classes we looked in James about the testing the trying you know, that's all part of it. So the purpose here in, in this verse here uh, that you can see there's a fire burning. And, and the purpose, I believe, he's, he's pointing this out is that these elements need to be involved in our lives. Now, there are 12 spirits mentioned in the New Testament. Twelve, that particular number speaks of ministry. You have the 12 tribes, you have the 12 apostles, speaking of ministry. I'm going to write these on the board one at a time, and I will give you some scriptures, uh, and I'll read them. We may turn to a few here and there, but I'm going to read them because I have them in my notes because it would just take too long if we went and looked at all of them. So the first five... The number five 
deals or relates to grace. The first five relate to grace. Okay. The first, and I'm going to make two columns, and I'll, I'll show you why later. The first one is the spirit of life. Romans 8, 2. And we know this verse, we, we read this, and it's, it's very clear in this verse. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made us free from the law of sin and death. death. And then in Revelation 11, 11, and after three days and a half, the spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood on their feet, speaking of uh, the two witnesses that God raises up uh, in, in the last time. So you see in those verses this particular thing, the spirit of life. And of course, you will see and you know that if you look in, for example, John, you see in certain chapters this life, life, life is mentioned many, many, many times. And it's all moving and pointing toward the spirit of life that is to be there. Okay, the second one is the spirit of adoption. And that's found in Romans 8.15. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. It is by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ that he has taken us who were out of the way and were not children and has brought us into this relationship, the spirit of adoption. Quite a work of grace. The next, now there is no particular order to any of this tonight from the scriptures. It's just as I searched uh, and, and put, put these together, that's how we have it. The next is the spirit of promise. And that's in Ephesians 1.13. In, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were also sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. We, we know that verse, most of us. The Spirit of promise. The next... Is the spirit of prophecy. Revelation 19.10 And I fell at his feet to worship him, and he saith unto me, and this is the one who is showing John, uh, he, you know, some say the angel, but remember the words translated messenger. He's showing John all these different things, and John is so overwhelmed, he, he falls down uh, and worships him, and he says, don't do that. Uh, and I fell at his feet, to worship him, and he said unto me, See thou do it not, I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And the spirit of prophecy is throughout the Bible. Not just prophecy, but the spirit of prophecy. And the fifth is the spirit of his mouth. Second Thessalonians 2 Thessalonians 2.8 and then shall the wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness 
of his coming. So, as I said, we're, we're dealing with the 12 spirits seen in the New Testament. These are five that deal with grace. You have, you, did you write these down? So I'm going to erase this because I want more room here. So there, there you have the first five related to grace. The next seven you find in the New Testament are related, and remember, seven is what? It's not necessarily the perfect number, but it's God's work completed successfully. The next seven you see here deal with character. And this is where we're going to spend the time tonight with this particular thought. The first one is the spirit of holiness. What a characteristic, huh? Romans 1, 4. And declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Uh, Luke, turn to Luke 1. Probably should have you turn to a different scripture here. Turn to, uh, go to Romans 6. I'll go to Luke. Now, when you begin to look at these spirits here in the New Testament that deal with character, one of the things you'll begin to see, if you do ever do a, a, a study in this, one of the things you'll start to see is when these characteristics are mentioned and you look at them in the New Testament, you will see that other things come into play. You'll see other things there in the scriptures. And I'll give you an example of that in a minute. But in Luke 1, 74 and 5, that he would grant unto us that we, that we bring, being delivered out of the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness. So there is something else that he puts in the scriptures before him all the days of our, our life. So one of the things you see tied with this characteristic here is righteousness. Now in um, Romans 6, verse 9, excuse me, verse 19. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh, whereas ye have yielded your members' servants unto uncleanness, and to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members' servants to righteousness unto holiness. So you see again that the mention of righteous or holiness in these two scriptures, he also brings this, this word righteousness into the picture for us to see. Uh, in Hebrews, well no, let's, um, you don't have to turn there, Ephesians 4.24. And that ye put on the new man, we, we know this scripture, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. You see it again. And in Hebrews 12, 14, it says, follow after peace with all men and holiness. So now he brings something else into the picture. Peace. Now I'll explain this later as we go. Each one of these, we're going to... I don't, all of them, I don't have other things from other scriptures, but on some of them I do. I wanted to show you this. Okay, the second one 
is the spirit of wisdom. Okay, in Exodus, I don't have this in my notes. Exodus 28, I'll read this. And take thou unto thee Aaron thy brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel, that he may minister unto me in the priest's office, even Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar, Aaron's sons. And thou shalt make holy garments for Aaron thy brother for glory and for beauty. And thou shalt speak unto all that are wise-hearted, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom. I thought that was very interesting that we see that even in the Old Testament, that phrase, although the thought is elsewhere. So he's going to speak unto all those who were wise-hearted and whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments and consecrate them and so on and so forth. In Deuteronomy, Exodus 28, 1 through 3. In Deuteronomy 34, 9, And Joshua the son of Nun, listen to this, was full of the spirit of wisdom. It doesn't say he was full of wisdom. It says the spirit of wisdom. And when God puts extra things in a verse like that, you pay attention because he just doesn't throw words around. He's full with the, the, the um, spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him, etc., etc. Now, in turn to Isaiah 11. Now, we're still building here. I need to build to, to bring some things out here. Isaiah 11, verse 1. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, and the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, and the Spirit of counsel and might, and, and the Spirit of knowledge, and of the fear of the Lord. So here, uh, in, in this particular verse... And we're going to look at another one. Under this particular thing, the spirit of wisdom, the one we originally read here, I don't know if you caught that because we didn't read it yet. <laughs> I only know if I even have it in here. I don't. Hold on a second here. Anyway, it's there somewhere. It's in the Bible, believe me. But under the spirit of, of wisdom, you have revelation, knowledge, understanding, and other things, actually, too. I'm just giving you some of these. Uh, Ephesians, oh, here's, here it is right here. Ephesians 1.17. That the God of our, of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Okay, so you see the spirit of wisdom linked with this word revelation that we see throughout the Bible. You see that thing there. Uh, Colossians 2.3, in whom are hid, meaning the Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and and knowledge. Ephesians 1.8, wherein he hath abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence. So that means understanding. All wisdom and understanding. He has abound toward you in your life. Uh, Romans 11.33, 
Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God, Paul says. So you see, I, I gave you five or six scriptures, and each one builds upon the spirit of wisdom. It brings other things into the picture that are scattered throughout the New Testament and even in the Old Testament, bringing all these things out. Now, the third here is the spirit of meekness. Let's just look at this verse, Galatians 6, 1. We should probably turn to the main one that I'm dealing with, but I'm just trying to save a little bit of time. Turn to Galatians 6, 1. And brethren, if a, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, hopefully, <laughs> we have some spiritual people, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness. That's what it's going to take in certain instances. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. 1 Corinthians 4.21 What will ye? Shall I come to you with a rod, or in love, and in the spirit of meekness? So he brings this into the picture, love, agape, dedication, sacrifice. He brings love into this. James 3.13 Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good behavior his works with meekness of wisdom. So here you see wisdom. You see an overlap here. The two. Okay, you're going to start to see this. Colossians 3.12 I had to make little cards here because I have so many scriptures. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and, and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, and long-suffering. So here you have added to this humility, long-suffering, and we didn't get to this yet, reverence. And that's 1 Peter 3.15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you the, uh, a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and reverence. So we, we would not think that meekness has anything to do with some of these things. You know, or uh, maybe we would, I don't know. But wisdom would have these particular things moving in, in the same way in the New Testament. Okay, the next is, we're running out of room. I'm going to start writing smaller, okay? Spirit of faith. Now, faith, you can really look in the New Testament, and you'll see all types of other words that are used that, that come into play. I'll give you a couple. We have the same spirit of... Let's turn to 2 Corinthians 4.13. 4.13. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. So there you have the spirit of faith. Galatians 5.6. For in... 
For in Jesus Christ neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. So he brings love into the picture here with faith. Hebrews 6.12. I told you I had a lot of scriptures. That's why I have them in my notes. And we'll bring this together in a little bit. So just stay with me. Hebrews 6.12. That, that ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience. So he brings that into the picture. Faith and patience inherit the promise. So I have that up here. 2 Thessalonians 1.11. Wherefore also we pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. Or you could say strength uh, or ability, whatever. It's, it's all the same. Uh, and here's, here's one here, uh, Romans 4.11. And we receive the sign of circumcision, a seal of right of the righteousness of faith. So he brings the word righteousness in here. Now see, look at this. You see the overlap here. Here you have the spirit of holiness, and you see righteousness related to that. And down here you have the spirit of faith, and you see righteousness again. Um, Romans 5, 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace. So peace is brought into the mix here. Can you see that? Can you all see that? Okay. That we have faith with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, verse 2, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace. So grace is brought here. Wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of glory, the glory of God. So the glory of God's brought into this. Okay, now, we'll stop here for a minute. There is an overlap that we see already, and we only got to four. We're going to do three more in a minute. But you can see... Wisdom, wisdom here. Grace, and there was grace elsewhere here. Where was it? But, but you'll start to see an, an overlap. There, there, there is an overlap uh, where one area extends and covers over the other area. You know what an overlap is, right? Where you have, let's say you have this, this here area, right? And then you have another area here which comes and overlaps that. And then you have another area that comes over here and overlaps that. And this is what we're seeing in the scriptures. It's like all overlapping. It's all tied together. It's all moving. It's, it's covering all the character in the scriptures. All the character that is there throughout the, the, the scriptures is now being brought forth, and it's all dovetailing and overlapping. One thing overlaps another thing, overlaps another thing, so that you as a Christian and myself have all that is needed to see the character that the Lord... There's, there's nothing that's going to be missed by God. He's covered every single area, so that if the character of the Lord is not put into you as a Christian, it's not his fault. Because it's everywhere. Everywhere. You cannot pick up the Bible and start to read these things and see these and not understand. Well, I guess you cannot. I mean, people don't understand it. But if you have a heart, if a Christian has a heart that wants God, they want more of the Lord, 
He sees that heart. It's not about how smart you are and how much of the Bible you know. It's about the heart condition that you carry around with you. And if you have a heart condition or a soft heart, then God has every area covered so that when you come to the Bible, when you go to church, when you go to Him, now begins this process of bringing these things into your life. Now, in Psalms, I like this. Turn to Ephesians. David says this. See, the Lord is interested in bringing all of us into fullness. Now, you just can't become a Christian, and you, you, you decide, well, I'm going to walk with the Lord for a while, and then I'll just go back to my old ways. I'll walk with the Lord for a while, and then I'll leave. If you do that, you hurt yourself, because the Lord will never be able to bring you into the fullness of certain things that He has ordained for your life. He's, he's desired for your life. You cut yourself off from that. He doesn't cut you off. We cut ourselves off because of our lack of response, because we decide we want what we want. Uh, David says, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. So David had this heart many, many years ago that wanted the Lord, and he wanted to be like him, he wanted to have the characteristics that the father had to some degree in his life. And that was his, his prayer. He says, I'll be satisfied when I awake looking like you. Boy, what a prayer. What a prayer. Matthew, we know this verse, Matthew 5, 6. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. See, righteousness, where do we have that up here? Right here. We have it right here. What happens to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness? What's it say? They shall be filled. In other words, if you hunger for and thirst for righteousness, that's your heart. You open yourself up now to the Lord, and He can bring you into fullness. If you hunger and thirst for righteousness, those those who do that shall be filled. They're, they're going to have a fullness. But if you hunger to do your own thing, you hunger to go where you want to go, you, you know, for whatever reason, whether you try to justify it or, or not, you actually hurt yourself and you, you actually fight against the Lord who wants to bring you into fullness in your life. See, So it's an individual thing. Ephesians... Let me read chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. This is from the NIV. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him. See, we are to become the fullness of him who fills everything and everywhere in every way. And the King James says he which fills all in all. Now, I want you to see Ephesians 3, verse 19. Uh, let's go to back to 18. You may be able to comprehend with all saints. Uh, you're going to comprehend. You know what the co word comprehend means in that verse? It means to lay hold of. 
not to comprehend with your mind, that you would be able to grab a hold of it. That you may be able to, and that's subjunctive mood verb, which means it's possible but not necessarily guaranteed thing. That's why they use the word may. It's possible. You may be able to lay hold of with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height and to know the love of Christ, which passes knowledge that, for what reason? That I might just know the love of Christ? I might experience it? No. That I may be or you may be filled with all the fullness of God. <laughs> Is it possible for you to be filled with all the fullness of God? Well, that's what Paul is saying. Well, it's not that you're going to be uh, all-knowing, all-powerful, you know, omniscient, omnipresent, everywhere. It's not talking about that. I think it's talking about being filled with the seven spirits of God. Having all the fullness of God. Filled with all the fullness of God. Jesus who has the seven spirits. Wow. So what in the world is available to us? I just, you know, quake a little when I think of it. The seven spirits. Okay, the fifth is the spirit of grace. Uh, turn to Hebrews 10, 29. I don't know how some preachers can preach for years and years and never touch on some of these things in the Bible dealing with the character of God developed within. I don't know how you can not see that. It's so pronounced. It's so everywhere you look. It's just like right before you. But yet, there are many, many, many who teach and preach and never bring about these particular truths, never center in upon uh, your flesh, what has to be done with that. Never center in on the carnal man. Never center in on these things dealing with the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. Never going into why we are to be tested and tempted and proved and tried. What's the benefit? What's the purpose? And because they do not minister in that way, people, many Christians, are totally oblivious to what the Lord wants to really accomplish in this lifetime. And they go on their way and they think that that's, everything is fine and I'll just go to church and pray and read my Bible and someday I'll die and I'll go to heaven and that's it. And then we'll play harps and you know, worship God and who knows what else. But there's a lot more to it than that. I mean, heaven, and I've said this before, heaven is never, Jesus never talks about heaven as being the final destination as far as the goal. I mean, you'll, you'll go to heaven, but that's not to be your goal. Paul talks about being Christ-like. You see that in his epistles. You see that throughout the New Testament. And if you have eyes to see, you can see it in the Old Testament. So the, the emphasis 
I always like to put the emphasis on what I really think the emphasis should be on. And that's why you hear so much in these classes about our character, how it's to be developed, what we have to go through, what we should endure, how we should pick ourselves up and continue on if we fail, and keep our attention toward the Lord and not toward a lot of these other things that really don't really matter. So you have here in Hebrews 10.29, Oh, how much sore punishment, suppose, verse 29, I said, Suppose ye that he, he, that he be thought worthy, who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God, and hath counted the blood of the covenant, wherewith he was sanctified in an holy thing, and hath done despite to the Spirit of grace. See, so the Lord has has sent the spirit of grace for a reason. Not that you just receive grace. Well, that's good. Everybody likes to receive grace, don't we? But do you know that the spirit of grace is to be an outflowing from the heart of a Christian? First of all, it has to be there. Then it's to be an outflowing so that you can extend grace to people that Maybe you could never do that to before. Maybe there's somebody that just gets on your gets on your last nerve, like they say. I mean, it's like that's it. You just have no grace for them whatsoever. You might have grace for this or that. You want to receive it. And we all received it. The grace of God. But now this is dealing with something else. This is dealing with what is being developed in you. See, the Lord Jesus Christ has grace and He's given you grace. But he's given you grace, not just to save you, but so that that would be developed in you so that you can turn around and give other people that don't deserve grace or those you might not even want to give grace to, you can give them grace. And that's a work of Christ. That's nothing that we can work up. You take somebody that's your enemy. Anybody have an enemy here in the world? Anybody have any enemies? Oh, it says love your enemies. Well, how are you going to do that? It's going to be a work of the Lord in you. You're not going to do it on yourself. I mean, you might grit your teeth and say, oh, hi. It's a, it, yeah, it's a, yeah, okay. It's like to punch him in the mouth. If I had a knife, I'd stab him in the back. It's the way we are. So the Lord has to change what is core, your core, what's going on in you. <coughs> so that now, through the work of the Spirit of God, and that's another whole area, you know, it's our surrender, are, are, you know, submitting to the Lord and all that to bring about a position in spirit within us so that he can put maybe the spirit of grace in you. So that, I mean, I, I can tell you some stories about people that I had no grace for, none whatsoever. And over a period of time, because I desired the Lord and desired him to work, he changed my life and I was able to extend grace to them when it was the last thing before I would ever want to do. And especially sometimes even in your family. You would give grace to other people. When it comes to our family, we don't want to give them grace. So that's another work. The Lord, he, he work everywhere. It doesn't matter where you are. You always have some area that the Lord wants to just, you know, fine tune. You know, there's some tweaking there. Zechariah 12:10 And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem 
the spirit of grace and of supplication. So supplication is prayer. And they shall look upon me whom, I, whom they have pierced, and so on and so forth. So God would pour the spirit of grace. It doesn't mean that all would move in that, you understand. Do you know that God can pour out his grace upon us, but that does not mean that we will move in that. We will receive the benefits of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ toward us personally, but that does not mean we will, we will move in that grace. You understand? It doesn't mean we're going to you know, give that. Are you feeling a little overwhelmed? Well, I'm telling you, it's a good place to be. 1 Corinthians 1.3 Grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. So he brings peace. Another overlap. You see that here? Here, here, and here. Okay, so you have another, another overlap. You see how these are all starting to move together. Now, it's not that we would be able to come and look at this and say, okay, I can figure this all out in my head. I can see it all. When you start looking at this in the scriptures, it's just like this, it's like a tree branch. One of the shoot goes off here, another shoot goes off here, another shoot goes off here. And it's like, and you look at this and you say, what's going on here? Well, God's building some trees. He's doing something. He, he's, he's bringing this overlap of all these things because he's going to use many, many different areas, things, however you want to call it, to accomplish what he's trying to accomplish. Hebrews 12, 28, Wherefore we have received a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby we may serve God. So that, I guess you could put that in there too. Acceptably with reverence and godly fear. I don't know if I can get down any further here. The sixth is a spirit of glory. Now, we have talked a lot about the glory of God in other classes. In James, we talked about the glory of God and how the, how the Lord wants to put his glory in you. Remember I, um, what the scripture is where it says that it's in Romans, the glory that shall be revealed in you. So well, how's it getting in you? It's not just... God's not just going to take off your head now that you're a Christian and pour it in like a, you know, like you're filling up a cup of iced tea. No, there's a process involved in the glory of God being placed in the Christian. And not all are interested in these processes because they are sometimes a little painful. It, it's, you have to suffer the loss of your own will, what you want to do in life. And you have to get in gear, so to speak. You have to start, to, okay, I'm going to walk with you, God, no matter what. I'm not going to just be, you know, everywhere, scattered. I'm going to walk with you and just keep my heart before you and let you work through situations. How many are here today are in a circumstance? Now, I know you all are. <laughs> we all have them, don't we? Sometimes they're a little better than others. But if you can keep this before you, and, and I'm speaking to myself also, that the circumstance can make you. The circumstance can bring to you opportunity to have these spirits placed in you. Now, I'm not talking about some spirit spirit. 
you see what we're talking about, right? How is the Lord going to get these things in us? It's no easy task. You know, I'm glad that God's God. And I'm glad the Holy Spirit knows what he's doing. Because he can do some of these things. You know, we can't. We can't put of the character of the Lord in ourselves, in us. We just can't do it. But what we can do is give him our life. Now, I don't mean coming to Christ at the altar. I mean give him our life and say, okay, Lord, now do what you're going to do and, and pay attention to what you find yourself in. Pay attention to that because that is where, so to speak, the rubber is going to meet the road. That is where the Lord is going to bring increase into your life or your life will decrease. Now, I'm not talking about going to heaven or not going to heaven. Saving, you know, not, I'm talking about that talking about increase or decrease of the character of the Lord in you. See, it's either going one way or the other. There's no middle ground, I don't believe. 1 Peter 4, turn to 1 Peter 4, 14. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. So there you see the spirit of glory uh, in this verse. Uh, then you also have, with glory, you have honor, virtue, authority. 1 Timothy 1.17 is honor, related to glory. 2 Peter 1.3, virtue, related to glory. And Matthew 19.28, related to, uh, authority related to, to glory. Okay, let me, can I raise the top of this? Okay, and the seventh, turn to John 14, verse 17. Even the spirit of truth, there you have it, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now, of course, this terminology we know is related to the Holy Spirit. But still, he's called the spirit of truth, the spirit of meekness, whatever you, however you want to, if you want to bring it all in together and say it's just the Holy Spirit, I mean, that's okay. But the Lord puts this in there the spirit of grace, the spirit of truth, the spirit of holiness, for a reason. It's not just a word that you just decide to throw in there. There's, there's a reason behind it. John 15, 26, But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. Uh, John 16, 13, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. John, 1 John 4, 6, now listen to this. We are of God, he that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the Spirit of truth and the Spirit of error. So in, um, in John 1, 14, Related to truth, you see grace. Remember, Jesus came full of grace and truth. So that's another uh, overlap there. 
Uh, Ephesians 5, 9, you see righteousness again. You see that again. That's the, the third or fourth time you see this. Um, Ephesians 5, 9, you see goodness and knowledge also, or goodness. 1 Timothy 2, 4, you see knowledge again. And in 2 John 3, you see love. So, so once again, you're starting to see it, 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 these things just move out throughout the whole Bible. All these different words. See, you, you can't go and just look at each word and just center in on that word and that's it. It's just, that's not it. It just flares out throughout all these different places. All these things related to this. The seven spirits of God here, dealing with character, are seen and moved throughout the entire Bible. Bringing every man of the character of the Lord, bringing that particular thing before each Christian in hope that those characteristics would be developed in them. Look in Revelation 5. This is the, the fourth usage of, of the term here of the seven spirits. See, the Lord wants to bring every area of character before the Christian. Before the Christian. Here, look in 5, 6. John says, And I beheld, and lo, in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb as it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God. Where? What's going on with them? What does he do with them? Read the last part of the verse. Sent forth into all the earth. For what purpose? That they, that, that would be before us, the seven spirits of God. See, you cannot see the seven spirits of God if you have a hard heart. You are not going to see the spirit of truth, the spirit of grace, the spirit of holiness, the spirit of meekness. See, but if you have a soft heart, then you'll begin to see that. Now, that becomes the first thing, seeing and then receiving that, so that now, where you are, where you live, the Lord can take of these things and begin to put them within you, so that, in a point of time, those would be in you. So you may have the spirit of meekness developed in you. Not just meekness, but a, a fullness of it. So it's just like it's there. It's just it's an abundance of it. You have that in you, the spirit of meekness. You have the spirit of truth in you. That's why they are sent out through all the earth, all, whole, every, uh, the totality of the entire earth, every single place that man is, the seven spirits have been sent. It's just that man does not see it, doesn't recognize it, because of the hardness of his heart. They, they don't see it. The Christians can see it to some degree, maybe some more than others, based upon several things, but one of them is the, the, the hardness or softness of the heart. So he says here, he saw a lamb as it had been slain, 
uh, having seven horns. And by the way, it says this, this sent forth is a participle. So this is a continuous action. It's sending forth. Do you know that God is sending forth the spirit of meekness to you continually? To you, to you, you, sending these forth to you, to all, all the earth. And he says here, the seven horns. I, I thought this was uh, interesting. And you know, the horns in the Bible of an animal are uh, symbolic of strength and courage. But as I looked into this word, here's a meaning for this, the word horns here. Power of unusual significance. So the Lord has placed his power, which is of great significance in the spirit of grace or the spirit of meekness and is sent that power for what the power to change your life the power to put in you something that you could never ever have apart from the lord wow sent forth to me who am i who are you that the Lord would send this forth to you. But he wants to give you as much opportunity as he can. We cannot waste our lives. We can't just go back and vacillate in our Christian walk because the work will never be done. And he wants these things done in our life to whatever measure he can get it done. So don't waste your years. Walk with God. Don't waste your time. Walk with Him. If you fail, you get up and you say, Lord, forgive me, continue on. Because we're going to need all the years that we have on this earth for the Lord to take some of these things and put them in, that we would have the spirit of them in our lives. And, and I'll tell you, I, I, looked, I was looking at this yesterday, and I was just shaking my head. I said, Lord, how are you ever going to do this? Well, he may not be able to put all the fullness of God into us, into the Christian. But that's available. Kind of sobering, I think. So one may go and, you know, when this life is over and... They may have the spirit of glory, and that may be it. And then he has, it says there are seven eyes. Eyes refer to vision, perception, understanding, and the root word uh, signifies penetration. See, the Lord in his vision is so penetrating, he sees all the way down to the core of your being, everyone living in this life today. And he, his vision is penetrating, and he knows what needs to be done within you. And so he sends these spirits, the seven spirits, out to your earth, earth, my earth, through all the earth, for the opportunity in this life to do what no man can do, bring us into a place with him that we never, ever, ever thought possible. Don't be wasting your time. I'm telling you, we need to straighten up 
and walk with God because there's so much we can lose. And you know, I, I guess it's hard to hear this, but I see the tremendous grace and love of the Lord in doing this. You know, the Lord doesn't have to do this. He doesn't have to put these things in us, but he wants to because he loves you so much. He wants you to stand before him someday with as much as you possibly can contain. And I have this, this suspicion, I'm suspicious, I haven't really looked at this, but I suspect that some of the weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth that we see are, is going to be because of what is seen that is lost, what people have not been able to come into because of the way they lived. I'm talking about Christians, not the world. That's a, that's a given for them. I'm talking about Christians. If you live your life and you're going to make all your own choices, or you're going to make choices for a while, and then you'll go God's way. And you're going to, I'll serve the Lord for a while, and then you'll be bopping along. And say, eh, heck with this. I'm going to go, you know, you know how people do it. They, they, I see this all the time. Then whenever the time comes and the Lord opens this up, and we're standing before him, and we see someone else that we knew. And we see all the different things the Lord has placed in them. And we had the same opportunity as them. We are going to cry and wail because of what we miss. But it's going to be too late. Now, God will take care of the, the, the crying in that. You know, he'll wipe away all tears. But, but that's not going to restore what the person lost. You see what I'm saying? Are you understanding the gravity of the situation? The opportunities that we have now are once in a lifetime. And we fail. We do. But that's not an excuse for failing all the time. That's not an excuse for turning around and going and doing what we want and saying, well, I, I, I can't or, you know, it's too hard or, you know, I'll just fail. Forget all that stuff. Be determined. And move on. Now, in Revelation, there is a picture of the throne, and I'll call it the throne area. And I don't know how big that area is, there's no way of telling. I believe it's a very, very, very large area. In Revelation 4, verse 2, now there are those that are mentioned uh, in the book of Revelation. Uh, and they are in various distances from the throne, the immediate throne area. And I don't want to show you uh, the different positions that each are in. This is in this position, this is this position. I don't want to look at that. I want to show you so that you understand that there are varying distances from the throne of God. Now in chapter 4, verse 2, And immediately I was in the Spirit, and beheld a throne was set in heaven, and one that sat, sat upon the throne. He's talking about the Father. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in the sight like unto an emerald. So you see here, first of all, that the, the Lord, the Father, is upon the throne. Hold your place there and go to chapter 7. 
verse 17. Jesus here is pictured in the midst of the throne. For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them unto living fountains of water, and God shall wipe, wipe away all tears from their eyes. I don't know why they're crying. Why are these Christians crying? He's going to wipe away all... Because of what they suffered in his life? No, that's all past. That's all, you know, out of the picture. So here Jesus is pictured in the midst of the throne. Uh, the word midst means a position in the middle of an area. Uh, or, I like this, an area in the middle of a larger area. So, so the Lord is pictured in the midst or in the middle and I, I don't see the Father and Jesus on top of him. And No. See, they are in the throne. And Jesus talked about this oneness in John 17, I believe it is. That there is such a oneness, a closeness between the Father and Jesus. And he, he prays for his disciples that they would enter in to this oneness. Now, he's not talking about some oneness, who knows what, you know, unity. Like they say, oh, everybody moving the same way in the church in unity. He's talking about a spiritual thing where there is such a communion and such a oneness in, in position and in authority and in, in every way that he's praying for his disciples that they would be one as he is one in we won't go there, but he's talking about bringing this together. And I think this relates to the marriage. Uh, but, but anyway, you see this here. And Jesus is pictured in, in the middle of an area here in the middle of a larger area. So there, there, there he, he is with this father. And then you have this other area. Now in verse 4 of chapter 4. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiments, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. So it says here that they were round about, and that's a position completely encircling an area. So there, it's talking about the twenty-four elders that were close in. They're, they're close in here in this area. Okay, now in verse 6, And before the throne there was a sea of glass like unto crystal, and in the midst of the throne and round about the throne, around in a circle, were four beasts, the King James says, but it actually should read, and some of your translation might, might read this way, as living creatures. Uh, there were four living creatures full of eyes before and behind. So there you have the living creatures also uh, in this close area to the throne. In chapter 7, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues stood before the throne and before the Lamb clothed with white robes and palms in their hand. Um, and, and this is another area, I believe it's farther out from the closer area in of the throne. 
So this is, I believe, further out. And the reason I say that is because verse 10 here, it says, And they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God. So their testimony was the testimony of salvation, not uh, the greater testimony, not, not the character necessarily of the Lord, but their testimony was not uh, as the testimony should be for a Christian who has walked with God in a, in, a, in a correct way for many years. They're relating to God, to salvation. It sounds like they're re relating to God as far as salvation alone. So that's why I believe that they're further out, further out from the throne. They're saved, but they're out further somewhere. Verse 14, And I said unto him, Sir, and thou knowest, and this is the, um, he asked him who, the angel asked John, who are these arrayed in white robes? And he said, Sir, thou knowest, and he said unto me, These are they which came out of great tribulation, and have washed their robes, and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore are they before the throne of God, and serve him day and night, and he that sitteth on the throne shall dwell among them. And so here are those who came out of great tribulation. They are a, a, at a distance, not a far distance, but somewhere beyond the 24 elders, beyond the living creatures, somewhere beyond there. This is where you see these ones that came out of great tribulation. And then you see in chapter 14, verse 1, and I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on, the mount, on mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having their father's name written in their foreheads. Verse 3. And they, sung, and they sung, as it were, a new song before the throne, and before the four living creatures and the elders. So you can see that they, the 144, are further on in. And no man could learn the song but the 144,000 which were redeemed from the earth. So they're, they're closer in. Now, I wanted to point this out for a reason. The character of the redeemed one determines how far or close they are. The 24 elders had the character of the Lord Jesus developed in them. That is why you see them on... The Lord just doesn't just say, okay, I want you and you. No, they qualified for those positions and they had the Lord's character developed in them. And that is why they sit upon a throne close in to the throne of God. Now remember, the 24 elders aren't some spirit beings. They were not just spirit beings all their lives. The 24 elders were men. Men. Women. Who knows? Man. So what's that tell me? What does that tell you? That it is possible to obtain the character of the Lord to a great degree. It is possible to have the seven spirits of God operate in an individual's life. But it is going to be costly. You choose what you want to do. You, you, you make the choice. What do you want? You want, 
You want one thing? There, I believe there will be a lot of people who have very little or none of the, of the character of the Lord developed in them. Where are they going to be in relation to the throne? Now, let me say this. You can pray. See, we have communion with the throne of God now. You can pray. Your prayers, it talks about in Revelation, the, the incense of the saints, their prayers. They reach the throne of God. It's not, we're not talking about that which reaches the throne of God, of your prayers or, 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 or whatever. We're talking about the distance that the individual finds themselves in. See, where will we, be, will we be in relationship to the throne of God when we pass off this life? Will we move a little closer than some? Or because of our actions and the way we lived, will we be far, far, far away? Or will we not even be in the throne area? We'll have communion with God. We'll, we can pray. We can praise Him and worship Him, but it will be from some great distance. I don't know about you, but this is so sobering to me, just to, to straighten up and fly right, so to speak. I hope that you see tonight the opportunity and that you as a person, what you have available to you, you have it all, all that God could do all that God could bring you, all that is seen here in the scriptures that overlap and flow, sent forth into all the earth so that you, you, you would respond and not be so overwhelmed and pushed down all the time because of the circumstances of life. Get over it. Overcome, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, walk with God today and let Him do what He will in your life. Let Him put what He can in, in the years that we have left so that when we leave this life, there is something there that will be there for all eternity. All eternity. We want to take things, you know, it's just like, like water off a duck's back sometimes. You know, we, we hear messages. We hear things in church. And still we walk out and we go back into the same stinking rut we've always been in. Why? Why? Do you not think that the power of God is not what it can be to pull you up out of that? Do you not have any faith in God? See, we need to have a change. We need to move in the right path with God and stay there. No more messing around. No more letting your carnal man rise up and you know, I'm going to give him a piece of my mind. Forget it. He doesn't need a piece of your mind. He's got a lot of pieces of his own. He doesn't need yours. See, the things that go on when you leave here and you go back to your homes and you get up and you go to work and all the things you have to deal with, with your family, with your neighbors, with the people you work with, with life in general, with your lack, 
with your faults, with you maybe not having enough money, whatever it may be. Don't let those things rob you. See, don't let any man take your what? Crown. It can be taken. Don't let it happen. When you go back, we're going to go back next week and finish Revelation chapter 3. And we're going to see something. Let's just read one verse here. Revelation 3. Maybe I should wait till next week to bring it out. I'll bring it out now and next week. How's that? The church or the, the pastor, church of Laodicea. Jesus, you know, he corrects this church quite a bit. He says quite a bit of different things about their lukewarm. And then he, he talks about, you know, buy of me gold tried in the fire and all these different things. Why would we buy gold tried in the fire? Why would we want to do that? Look what he says. See, there's, there's things in the Bible. The phrases are there for a reason. Look at verse 21. Look at what, now that we, we looked at this tonight, look at what he's putting before them. To him that overcometh, that's, that's the one qualifying thing here. But, but remember, overcoming could be a lot of different things. Will I grant to sit with me in my throne? Now, how are you going to do that? He's offering that to them. But it's going to take these things here. Remember, the seven spirits are before the throne of God. You can't get there without the seven spirits. How are you going to get there? We said, we read those seven spirits before, before, before the throne of God. See, so it's going to take quite a bit of the work of God to get us closer on in. And I don't know about you, but I'm interested in being as close as I possibly can. I don't know where I'll end up in this life. I don't know. I don't know how much is going to be left undone. I don't know. But I do desire to move as close as I possibly can. To have the Lord do as much as he possibly can. I look back and I see some of the things the Lord has done in my life. And I just marvel because I know I could never do it myself. Could never do it. It's just impossible for me. But all things are possible to God. Isn't there a scripture that says all things are possible to him that believeth? Well, what are we going to believe? I'm going to believe for healing. Well, that's okay. But I'll give you something better to believe for. Believe that he can do a work in your life. That's what you believe for. And then you start to move in that way and surrender to him. Have you ever been in a situation and, you know, here it comes. You know what I mean. Here comes the problem. And then you just shake your head because you failed. Oh, jeez. I just went through this. I said, Lord, this week. I said, Lord, why do I have to fail this week when I'm going to teach you? <laughs> and it was a failure. But I repented. <laughs> I said, Lord, forgive me and change that thing in me so it will never come again. And the Lord showed me what I needed to do, one, one simple thing, and I have to start with that because it's just overwhelming if I don't. Believe that God can do it, but when the thing comes, the situation, the pressing, you know, the, the person that's 
agitating you like a dog biting your leg, you know? And they're right there. And you're just like, you know, you, know how you, you know how we get. And you know what a lot of times we do? It just comes right out our mouth. And then, bam! And then we're there shaking our heads. Man, Lord, I shouldn't have done that. Get back up, ask God's forgiveness, and continue on. Because you don't have time to waste. You don't have time to waste. Because this is some serious thing here. Now, the, the lazy Christian, the Christian that just wants to do their own thing, and, you know, they're not interested in anything but, you know, making it into heaven. Something like they say with the skin of your teeth. Just making it in is fine. At least I know I'll be there and I won't be in hell. Be in hell. They have no idea what they're going to miss out on. No idea. They're going to find out when it's too late. Hopefully the Lord can do something now, but I see many people that are in this position where they, they're going to find out too late. I, I tried to, to share some things with an individual recently, this week. Or was it, no, it was last week. And I wanted to, to give him one of the classes. And just like, they're, they're Christian. They wouldn't... Not that I'm anybody, but I know that that would have helped them. But Christians are, you know, they think the way they think, and sometimes you can't, you can't change that. God has to do that. But remember, I want to leave you with this, that I, I believe this has been a sobering, sobering class for me, teaching it. But I want to show you what's available. But now when you leave, a month from now, Six months from now, a year from now, two years from now, five years from now. I hope the Lord brings this back to you continually that he wants to put these things in you personally. So get off your backside spiritually and get in gear and say, okay, Lord, let's go. And then just buckle your seatbelt when the tests and the trials and everything come because you're well able, you are well able, the Lord has given you everything you need to successfully pass the test. The problem is sometimes we don't want to pass it. But if we want to, we can't. Then it's not a big deal. We make it a big deal because we have a strong, strong, strong will. The Lord wants us to get over that. So I'll, I'll leave you with that. And now, when we begin next week, we'll look at the... We'll finish the seven churches. And when we start to move into chapter 4 and 5, this is like a foundational teaching. I'm probably not going to refer to this again, but hopefully you will be able to keep this in your vision so that when we start to look at other things, you'll, things will start to click. Say, oh, I, I see this, I see this. So just... You know, hold on to that Jesus word and, and let it work in you.